So grateful. So grateful. Uh, God is so good. I wanted to tie off something from last Sunday. We were focusing on Scripture and the importance uh, the Scripture has in our lives, the role it plays. And I'm going to get my cup of coffee while I'm doing this. Scripture is uh, absolutely essential. And it's interesting that Ryan said that it wasn't until he was reading Scripture the, the truth of God cut through the deception that comes by pride. Pride is blinding and it puts a veil over you. And so it's reading the truth uh, of God's word that literally exposed where Ryan's heart is and literally breathed life into him. So scripture is absolutely essential. Now to make sure we get this, I've created a couple slides so that you can really kind of lock this down. First of all, everyone here knows what theology is, right? Theology. Uh, any Greek buffs? What does theos, logos mean? The study of God. God, study of, exactly. Theology, the study of God. So now as Christians, we summarize that by saying it's our doctrine, it's our ethics, it's our belief, it's our worldview. So if we have a biblical theology, then our worldview is going to be very unique, And we're going to think it, we're going to believe it, we're going to have convictions about it, and it's going to be something very settled between our ears. That's theology. Now, you guys know what morality is, right? Morality is your lifestyle. It's your behaviors, both public and private. Make sense? Morality, right? For example, uh, is it right or wrong to tell a lie? (laughs) Don't answer because it gets complicated. You know, what if someone comes to the door and asks for, you know, I, I know... It gets complicated. It didn't take long. But the fact is, the scriptures are very clear. Uh, in the Big Ten, thou shalt not lie. Okay? So morally speaking, lying is wrong. It's a sin. Why? Because God says so. That's why. <laughs> and that's enough, isn't it? All right, now, let's look at this. Is theology greater than morality, or is morality greater than theology? You can respond. Yeah, Pat says yes. I love it. Why? Why, Patch? Because just like the idea of lying, there are there's nuance to when one is more important than the other. If I'm in a compromising situation where it comes to having to steal something or where I need to do something to survive, my theology may take a back seat to my morality. But that doesn't mean that That's really, really good. Yeah, because if we could all be honest for the moment and peel back a lot of our personality issues and our histories and and all kinds of what ifs, we have an ability to bend the truth, to bend our theology when we're backed into a corner. And just like everybody else, Christians can justify a whole lot of stuff. Right? Okay. What did James say? Faith of that works? Faith is theology. Got to have both? All right, check this out. Why does this make sense? Okay. Your behaviors, my behaviors, well, it's a good CAT scan. It's a, it's a good PET scan, a good X-ray of what I really believe. How I behave is going to reveal how I believe. 
So my behavior kind of exposes my theology, and my theology is going to dig down in and to get at my, my morality. Okay, does that make sense? They're kind of mutually reinforcing each other, right? So what if, what if you're the person that says, oh man, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, I'm telling you, whoop, whoop, and you can sing with the top, you know, K-Love and all that stuff, and you, you can literally make doctrinal truth statements, and yet morally, you're anti-Christ. There's nothing about your life that would be considered it's walking in step with Jesus. We got a huge problem with that. All right. So so what are we going to do uh, as Ryan and Stephen talked about brilliantly? Listen, we don't earn salvation. It is just impossible to earn salvation. It's not going to happen. We enter into the finished work of Christ. And that's why um, when we come out of the water, we're, we're raised to walk in a brand new life. It's just amazing. So, all right. So, tying it off on scripture, uh, it's like a compass. I was talking to the, the, the kids about it. It gives you a direction. It helps you to know how you should walk, how you should live. So, we read God's word. We study it. We memorize it. We meditate on it. We pray it. We apply it to our lives. It's not just, you know, uh, James chapter 1 says the demons believe the facts. Demons have pretty good theology when you think about it. Remember when, when the, the man that was demon-possessed with a legion of demons is confronted by Jesus on the, the shoreline of an area called Gadara? What did, what did the demons say? Do you remember what they said to Jesus? What's that? Yes, but he said, we know who you are. We know who you are. Demons have good theology at some points, right? But behaviorally, they are anti-Christ. Okay. So we literally find truth in applying it to our lives, and it exposes all the junk. By the way, when I read Romans 1 uh, last Sunday, you've got to understand in that horrific degenerative cycle that goes down and down and down and down, it begins with a core idea. You exchange the truth for lies. When you start thinking morally and theologically that one plus one is three, you've started down the path. You've started down that, that cycle, and it leads to a horrific place. We encourage one another with God's word. Some of you send me scripture. Pat, you do. Janice, you sometimes send me scripture. Thank you. And when, I, when that happens, I read it and I go, God, speak to me. They, they sent me this for a reason. I'm going to soak it up. And it's beautiful. So thank you so much. All right. Let's dig into to what we've got today. Uh, it, this is about purity. And remember, we're doing a New Testament theology of the church, theology of the church. But specifically, if you're going to be a part of Christ church, this is what it means. It's like a new members class on Sunday morning. We're going to focus on purity. Um, kids, if you can, I want you, this is going to be a hard one. I want you to try to draw the most pure thing you can think of. The most pure thing. Snowflake, newborn baby, the purest thing you can think of. And then I also want you to try to draw the dirtiest, nastiest thing you can think of. Okay? Try to think about the thing that is totally pure and the thing that is totally impure or nasty. 
See what you can come up with, and I, I want to I wanna learn about it. Uh, adults, you've already done that in your brains. You've already done it. All right, here we go. Let's dig in on purity. These scriptures are just going to set it up. That's all that this is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. I'm going to flip that. You ready? Not blessed are the impure in heart. They don't see God anywhere. The person with an impure heart is typically so blinded, they can't find God anywhere. And they see no good in the world. And they don't see God at all. Um, I, was, I was doing my thing and back-to-back clients, the busy pace that I run, and I get a text from Ryan. And Ryan says, I'm reading Isaiah 30. And he talks to me about the impact of Isaiah 30 on his life. Ryan is seeing God. Those who are not pure don't see him. They can't find him anywhere. Philippians 4a, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, honorable, if there's any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The verb think about these things, guess what it means in Greek? It's fascinating. It means to think about them. It's just amazing what that means. Think about it, you know, think about it. Um, I got a text from a buddy and he goes, hey, Chris, Jamar from Alabama just got drafted to the Lions. And he was like, ah, well, he's thinking about it because his Lions, Lions are his favorite team. And I, I've tried deep counseling therapy to help him with that. <laughs> it, Doc, I, I need some advice, please. He's, it's, we're at an impasse. We're, it's, it's, it's a struggling, struggling dude. Think about pure things, snowflakes, newborn babies. The blood of Christ that cleanses us. Think about the good stuff. By the way, uh, it, it may be time for you. I'm not your Holy Spirit and don't want to be. It may be time for you to get off of Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and anything else. You know why? Because it's the opposite of Philippians 4.8. It's the opposite. It will get you drawn into the trashiest, mindless babble that you can imagine. Do you know what's happening? What psychologists have studied? Teen suicidality, the risk of a teenager doing SI, suicide ideation, does this, ready? After 10 minutes of being on TikTok. <gasps> 10 minutes! And they're already entertaining ridiculous, destructive ideas. You see the little kid, that the new TikTok challenge? Let's overdose on Benadryl. Galen, you're a doctor. You know, what happens when you, you take 10, 12, 15 Benadryl? Well, he's dead. He's dead. Yeah. You set your mind on this kind of stuff, it's bad. But when you set your mind on these things, that which is pure, wow, it's exciting, it's beautiful. Titus 1.15, this is a tough one for a lot of people. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing's pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. That's like what I said earlier. When you're impure, you're blinded to see God. The idea here is to those who are pure, they can look at all things with a pure motive. They have the ability to see it from God's perspective, not from Satan. Got to tell you a quick story about Satan. This is absolutely precious. And those of you with kids or grandkids, you'll know, Becca, help me get this right. So Becca's upstairs being super mom. 
corralling all the kids, doing what you think, and all of a sudden, little Phoebe and Caroline get into an argument. Okay. The 10-year-old, I know, shock. You thought we were perfect. Oh, 10-year-old and a 5-year-old are in intellectual combat for the moment. And Phoebe gets so mad. Phoebe goes, Becca, you're acting like Satan. You're being mean like Satan. And Becca hears it and goes, whoa. And so Becca goes back to say, what's going on? And there's a little exchange. And Phoebe says, well, you know, Caroline's being mean. And Becca goes, is she being mean like Satan is mean? Because he's the meanest of the mean. In, in our house, we use the word baddie. He's a baddie. Like the baddie of the baddies. Not a goodie, you know. And Phoebe goes, uh-huh. Just like, just like that man who was blind and got his name changed. Satan. And Becca goes, blind and got his name changed? And Becca goes, that's Paul. And then Phoebe goes, well, then who's Satan? So... <laughs> Just enjoy that little little morsel there. To the pure, all things are pure. All right, Matthew 15, uh, the disciples are reading, and guess what they do? Just like Isaiah, they don't wash their hands. So some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not, do not wash their hands when they eat bread? Later on in the text, it's a very fascinating chapter. Peter said, explain the parable. Jesus said, are you also still lacking in understanding? Jesus is chiding them. He's not in, he said, what? You can't get this. Come on, guys. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And those things defile the person or make the person impure. Right? So the common Jewish mindset, if you're a Jew, don't touch an unclean thing, don't eat an unclean thing, don't stand in an unclean place, etc. The Jews thought impurity was on the outside and it's going to come in and get you. Impurity is on the outside, moving towards you, resist it. Judaism, the laws help push back evil. What does Jesus say? It's the opposite. Evil comes, it's already on the inside. And it's working its way out. Okay. And one of the principal means that impurity and evil and unclean things work its way out in the life of a man is through his mouth. In the life of a woman is through her mouth. Purity. All right, let's dig in. I want everyone to, uh, well, one more. Uh, uh, and Ryan, I did this for you, brother. Uh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let's approach God with a sincere heart. You did that, Ryan. Full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You did it. That's baptism. It's the work of God's grace by the blood of the Lamb. And let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. All right, everybody, click to it or turn to it. First John 3. We're going to dig in. First John 3. That was a little warm up. First John chapter 3, verse 1. I've got to ask God's favor right now. Abba, Father, bless you, Lord. I trust you. Uh, Lord, all of this is so 
It's so bigger than me, than us. And I ask for your grace and favor that eyes will be open, ears will be open, hearts open to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. And in fact, we are. How beautiful is that? To know that you know that you know that you know I'm a child of God and his love is totally changed. That's beautiful. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. You know what, folks? We don't fit in this world. We don't fit. We don't belong. Because we are not of the world. We are of Jesus. Beloved, now we are children of God. Ryan, you're a child of God. And it has not appeared. We don't know it yet. Not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we see him. We will be like him because we will see, we will see him just as he is. So you know what some, some people believe? That if Jesus died around the age of 33... That in heaven, when we see him, we're going to be just like him. We might be about 33 years of age. Because we're going to be just like him. I don't know. I don't know. You know 33, pretty healthy, right? You know, not, not too bad. Um, that'd be nice to have a 33-year-old body. Um, we don't know. But whatever it is, if you want to see glory, read Revelation chapter 1 and see what Jesus looks like. A sword coming out of his mouth. Eyes and face countenance like the sun. His hair white as wool. We don't know. But, but John says when we see him. We're going to be just as he is. And everyone who has this hope. Set on Jesus. Not on ourselves. Purifies himself. Just as he is pure. <coughs> everyone who has this hope. Set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. I want to give an illustration about cleaning the house. Please don't misunderstand me. I think all of us here have had this experience. You're inviting somebody over for dinner. They're going to come drop in. You're going to have coffee or something like that. What do you do to the house? What do you got to do? Aaron, what do you do? Clean it? You got to clean it. Got to clean it, you know. And what is it about us that if it's a messy house... It's an indictment on our, our moral failure in life. And we're just, we don't deserve to live. Our house is a mess. We're bunny critters, I know that. But the idea is that when we have company coming, we have this motivation to clean our house. Okay. Part of it is because we don't want to be embarrassed. Part of it is that we don't want them to believe that we're lazy and don't know how to put things back. And That's so silly. You know, all that stuff. John is talking, not talking about earning Salvation. He's not talking about you've got to keep all the rules so God will be proud of you. That's not what John is talking about. John is talking about that when Jesus is inside of us and the love of God is real in us, we have a hope that one day we're going to see him. We're going to go face to face with Jesus. And when that happens, we're going to be just like him. And when you have that hope of going face to face with him, you're going to want a pure life. You purify yourself. And then John gets real serious. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. 
And you know that Jesus, he appeared in order to take away sins. And in Jesus, there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins continually. No one sins continually, continuously, who has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Evidently, that was a problem in John's church culture. Make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning, and the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin, because his seed remains in him, in her, and he cannot sin continually because he's born of God. Pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Let's look at this. So the way John views it theologically, you've got two groups of people. Those who practice sin, they're of the devil. Those who practice righteousness, they're of God. You can't argue with that. You can't soft sell it. You can't dumb it down. And you can't let your anxiety about your morality weaken your theology. You can't create God in your image. You can't reduce him to your your way of thinking so you don't have a bad case of the guilties. Can't do it. Now your behavior is overriding and altering your theology. Unacceptable. Can't do it. All right. Is that the whole story? Putting you on the spot. Is that the whole story of the New Testament? Yes or no? No. Look at this. Look at what John says. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There's a middle spot. What is the difference between the middle column and the, and the one that those who uh, practice sin are of the devil? What's the difference? Deliberate. Okay. Keep going. There's no confession. No, so it's deliberate, no confession, no repentance. You're, you're there. I just need one more. One more truth, and, we, and we're going to be on it. Well, even though we sin, it's not continually. Now you're getting it, Tammy? What do you say? It's grace. Yes, it's grace. Grace is the middle. And, and Janice, you got it. It's continuous. Okay, so what John is teaching us. The person whose lifestyle is the perpetual, ongoing, continuous practice of sin, that person is not born again. They're of Satan. You can't have Jesus and live that way. You can't. It's proof that you're not born again. But Tammy's on it. The middle ground is the grace ground. It's the place where we stumble. We make mistakes, don't we? Yeah. But Joe, when we make a mistake, what does the Holy Spirit inside of us do? Who said conviction? Absolutely, Jan. 
And you know it. And when that happens, what do you do with it? You repent. And you go, God, ah, God, I, I messed up. I sinned. Would you please forgive me? And what does the blood of Jesus do with us at that point? We're cleansed. Ha, it's grace, Tammy. It's, we can walk in new life. Okay. Jesus calls his church to purity. Okay. That we're to walk it out. We're to think it out. Let your mind dwell on these things. We're to live it out, behave in a pure way. And it is only through Jesus Christ that it happens. So let me, let me make sure nobody's going to go off the rails on me, okay? You ready? This is not legalism at all. At all. Freddie, this is grace. Okay. But if we think we can go headlong and have a lifestyle that is anti-Christ, a belief system that is anti-Christ, and our behaviors are radically against God's word, and this is what we do every day, every week, every month, every year, we are not born again. Those are the works of the devil, and God is not in us. That's what, I, that's what John's talking about. Antichrist. When we've been born again, and by the way, his seed, I want you to see this. Um, you know, I just read it a second ago. Yes, verse 9, 1 John 3, 9. No one who has been born of God practices sin. Why? Why? Because his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin continually. Because he has been born of God. When you're really born of God, real conversion, the new birth, it can't happen. The left side can't happen. Janice. Would that be like if you're continuing to sin, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit living in us, it's a mess. that wouldn't happen. Yeah, and that's called Romans chapter 7. Yeah, that's good. Massive conflict. James says, don't you know you're warring against God? We're trying to pick a fight with God. Yeah. All right, now we're about to move into what's called fellowship. Uh, for those of you who are new, when you, when you read the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, there's a fascinating descriptor that Luke chose to write, made a decision, because as a historian, he really was committed to reporting facts. And it's this. It is the earliest, and this is incredible, the earliest description of how a church organized their service. It's fascinating. The earliest description of how a church did church. And it says they met, number one, for the teachings of the apostle. That's what we're doing. Okay. Number two, for fellowship. We're about to do it. Number three, breaking bread, which is worship. And it always leads to the Eucharist, taking the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread. When Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks, you, Congress, good thanks. Thanksgiving, he broke the bread, distributed among his disciples, and then prayer. So the early church, they met for the teaching of the apostles, for fellowship, breaking bread, and for prayer. That's what we do here. Now we're about to get into it, but I need to pre prepare you for this. Okay, This is a religious psychobabble-free zone. Nobody gets to shoot your mouth off. I'm sorry you didn't get picked for kickball in the third grade. I am so sorry. This is not your place to make up for it. That's not how it works. Okay. 
We are here to speak and think critically, biblically, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It is a sacred thing. you got to get this. It's a sacred thing to speak truth to the body of Christ. It's no flippant thing like we're at the local restaurant just, you know, shooting things up. This is very serious. So number one, I will always welcome questions. Always. I want you to speak from your spiritual gifting. If you're gifted in mercy, speak mercifully. If you're gifted in encouragement, speak encouraging words. Don't run outside your lane. Don't try to talk and act like a prophet because you get a chip on your shoulder. Or you need to be hurt. That's not what prophets do. Prophets are not necessarily opinionated, grudgy kinds of people at all. In fact, a prophet knows how to say, I love you, and more importantly, God loves you. Let's work on this. Speak to build up and strengthen the faith of the church. Use scripture. Use scripture. Not man-made wisdom, God's wisdom. And do not offer the counsel of hypocrisy. You're not making up for anything. It won't fly. So when I say you're the church, I'm saying sacred things. When I say if you're born again, like Ryan, the Holy Spirit is in you and you're gifted, that's sacred. When I'm saying when you read the New Testament, you're obligated to speak. You're obligated to obey the Holy Spirit in counsel with Scripture so that when we leave this place, we're different people. This isn't fast food theology. Get a quick little burrito on the go. It's gone in 30 minutes. What, what was church about? I don't know. I have no idea what church was about. It's not fast food. This is life-changing stuff. And the, the burden of holiness rests on all of us. Not just me. All of us. You're the church. His spirit is within you if you're born again. Function out of your gifts. Call us to purity. Stephen, anybody online, I want to hear from them too. Please, you're the church. How do we live this out right now? Anna. Um, so, and maybe it's just wording, um, but could you give more example of like the not continually living in Okay. Okay. Christchurch, answer her question. I kind of think that it means we're we are number one. We are in our original physical body, so there's going to be we have a nature that sins. So we're going to be making mistakes, missing the mark, which is what sin means is to miss the mark. But we don't. It's like you don't get in a rut and finish it. So you figure out what you're doing wrong, look at what the Bible says, try to live the way that Christ teaches us to live. It's not that we will not make mistakes. It's not that we will not make big mistakes. It means that we do not live our lives in that type of a lifestyle. That's good. Someone else? Uh, yes, sir. I kind of live like it is a progressive sanctification. And that's where something you've always done Right now. 
That is so good. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Okay, let me put it on um, another level, Anna, that I think we'll all grab a hold of. Bear with me in a very, very silly, silly illustration. Let's just pretend, we're pretending, that Pop-Tarts represent sin. Let's just, let's just work with me for a minute. Thank you, Alicia. And, and you're going through a box of Pop-Tarts a day, a day, sinful Pop-Tarts. And you realize, brother, you read some scripture that says, thou shalt not eat Pop-Tarts. And you go like, whoa, okay. And there's full repentance, and we're no longer going to do Pop-Tarts. That's great. That's awesome. Now, that is an example of repentance. But what if your craving for Pop-Tarts is really, really high? And, and you know, you stumble, and you had one Pop-Tart three months out. You repent, no more Pop-Tarts. You're back, you're back on the wagon. And you might stumble again. Yeah, that's the idea. Instead of headlong, unbridled, all gas pedal, no brake pedal, we're involved in sin and feel good about the sin. That's what uh, proves we are born of the devil and not of God. All right, someone else. How do we live this thing out? Rebecca. Right, right, that's until good. I, until I apologize and like openly apologize to my husband and to my children for my right. anger and then work on controlling my mind, then I'm not going to move to the middle. Yeah, I want us, I, 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 need to, I need to steer things back around. We need to be careful about that gray area we're trying to, you know, let's move away from, from how do you totally define a life of complete rebellion against God the works of the devil, and then a life that's submitted to God. We've got to be careful. We're going to, we're going to get tangled up here. The point is, and let's tie this one off. When you're born again, it's, and if it's real, you're going to act like it. Got it? If you're not born again, guess what? You're going to act like it. So let's nail that down. Now, for those who are born again, how do you move forward in a life of purity? One is sanctification, the process Moving forward. Next, right. So, during my time really breathing, um, I had to come to some hard conclusions. And that I think deep down, maybe all of us hate each other and we hide it. We hide it. And I think that I can see it, you know, I came here to get something. All my friends, I have received something from them, and it's all selfish ambition. And God says, if you hate your brother, you don't know God. And it says, but I know you, and John 5, 42 says, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. We don't have it. We can't conjure up love. We hate. Inside, we hate honestly. Yes. And if, if you tear that down, you'll realize that. And... Even though it hurts to 
you think that you hate God, he received that. And he's okay that you hate him because he loved us first. Um, in Luke 14, it says, um, uh, Luke 14, verse 25, the discipleship says it. Now large crowds are going along with him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come to me from after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who observe it began to ridicule him, saying, the man, the man began to build and was not able to finish. For what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with the 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace, so that none of you can be my disciple who does not give up, and all, or give up all his own possessions. I think we are sinful in nature and our, our flesh. I don't think God created us to be that way, but I feel like we have to own our sin. We have, yes. to, we have to be able to accept Take responsibility. Are, deep down, we hate everything. Yeah. I, I was on my knees and I told God you know, accidentally, but then I realized it was true that I hated him. Yeah. And he blessed me in that. He received me in that. And he showed me that it's okay. It's okay that we hate people. Because that's what makes us us. You know, we are continually, not continually, sorry. We are sinful, and he receives that. Yes. Ryan, thank you. You've answered so well. You have calculated the cost, Ryan. You have made the decision to be a follower of Jesus. A rich man came to Jesus and said, Hey, I hear there's great things going on with the youth group. Can I join? I want, to, I want to be your follower. Jesus goes, great. Have you been keeping the rules? Oh, yeah. And then Jesus tests him with, with some selected of the Big Ten. And he goes, I've been doing all that since I was a little boy. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm paraphrasing. There's one that you forgot, and that was about idols and things. Why don't you sell everything you have and then follow me? And what does the rich man do? He goes away. He says, ah, no, 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 no. That price tag, nope, way too high. He's loving money more than he's loving Jesus. And he left and he was pouting. And Jesus, like a good Baptist, chases, don't leave. I'm sorry. Don't leave. Please, I'll change what I said. It's okay. You can join. He didn't do that, did he, Bruce? What did he do? He let him go. Jesus will let us walk away. I guess I don't really know, but that's when I hear that passage. 
tough. Yeah. Thank you, Nikki. In fact, for those of you that know the Gospel of Luke, Luke comes down harder on us than any of the four. He comes down hard. And he says there's three things you got to do if you're going to be a disciple. Okay. Sell everything. Sell out. Number two, hate your family. Number three, pick up your cross and follow me. And if you're not willing to do those three, you're not a disciple. Now the question, the hard question, and this is where theology comes in. Is he talking to the disciples? Because he's got to get them ready for the big, the big event when he leaves and the church is, the gospel is going to go out from them. Or is he talking about all Christians in all places at all times? And the answer is yes. <laughs> he was specifically getting the disciples ready. But also, what are the three idols in our lives? Come on. Come on, Ryan. We, the idols, you know, number one, we are incredibly selfish. Oh, my stuff is my. By the way, do you know what Evelyn Margot, at the age of two and a half, her vocabulary consists principally of one word? Mine. Just saying. She's a toddler. Mine. Everything's mine. Boy, that gets at the heart of it. Mine. Greed. There's sell everything. We've got to learn to let go of our material possessions. Jesus said, Set your, make your treasure, invest, dedicate things. Make your treasure in heaven and not on the earth. Family. Ryan, truth be known, for many of us, our families are way more important than Jesus. And he gets crumbs. Jesus gets crumbs. All right? It's a family issue. And next, the cross. Yeah, not about that. My morality is going to change my theology up. I'm going to create Jesus in my image and make him a softy. But Jesus is holy and has a right. He has a right to say to Chris Perry, you stand and you square your shoulders and you act like a man and you live out the gospel. He does, Bruce. Yes. Right. I mean, that's what that means. Yeah. Yes, you do. Boundaries. Yeah. That's true, Bruce. That is so true. All right, we need to finish this up. I want you, everybody to turn to Luke 23. Luke 23. I want you to, I want you to capture the spirit of grace that Tammy alluded to. It's the crucifixion scene. There are two criminals left and right of Jesus on the cross. One of the, one of the uh, criminals starts complaining. And he says, hey, if you're, aren't you the Christ? Are you not the Christ? Then save yourselves and save us. And the other criminal, criminal responded in rebuking him, said, do you not even fear God? since you're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And that criminal, Ryan, with nothing to offer, no proud religious history, no magnificent church devotion and, and membership records, nothing, 
said, Jesus, would you please remember me when you come in your kingdom? And Jesus speaks words of grace beyond what I can get my head around. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The most impure man is instantly made pure. And by the way, that's me. Everyone turn to Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1, we're done. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Christ Church. Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in this cheap, tucktail kind of way of doing life. How do you become a Christian? Paul says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he or she confesses, resulting in salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. David. I just want to say what you said on Wednesday was beautiful about accepting the gift. Yes. Yes, the gift, the unconditional gift of God's grace. I want to pray over us. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for grace and mercy that that covers all of our sins from the most gross and disgusting things that nobody knows about to the stuff that we do in public like we think we have a right to, like yelling at somebody through a windshield. Abba, Father, our hearts are laid bare and exposed to you. There's nothing hidden from your eyes. And so we stop the games and we say, Abba, Father, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Purify me. Use hyssop, the blood of your son, Jesus, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a gift. And we follow you now. And what a gift to sing songs, to show our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.